countdown to the last comic shop in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Hey, hey, it is now time for more of the last comic shop. That's right. We are opening the shop up to newbies to help them find their way underneath the comic book tent. And we keep the lights on for those oldies that like to hang out and talk about comic books. Absolutely. I'm the host with the most, Andy Larson, and I'm joined by our regular co-host, J.A. Scott and Chad Smith. And we've got a great one on this week's show. Hopefully for all fans, whether you're on one side of that great big two aisle or you're on the other side. That's right. We're smashing together two of the greatest teams ever put into comic book form whether you're a fan of the avengers or whether you're a fan of the justice league we got them both on today's program with a review of a recently re-released event from the early 2000s yes it is jla avengers written by kurt Busick with art by the wonderful George Perez. And part of today's program is a celebration of George Perez as an artist. As you may or may not know, one of the major reasons why uh, we've recently got this re-release of this classic crossover between the big two is is basically in honor of George Perez. And so we're going to take an opportunity on today's program to talk a, a little bit about his art, uh, certain series that we've loved in addition to the uh, review we're going to be doing on today's program. But real quickly, before we start off, guys, you know, this recently re-released version of JLA Avengers, there was a little bit of controversy around it among some fan circles. Only 7,000 copies were printed. Chad, do you, do you mind giving us a little bit of rundown of, of kind of how all this happened? Well, as best I know, it was an effort between Marvel and DC and the Heroes Initiative, which was an organization that George Prez helped found. They're the one of those organizations that supports comic creators when they're in their times of need, because it's a business that has been known to not only break hearts, but chew people up and spit them out sometimes. And so... George Perez and some of his other creator brethren uh, have made that organization to help out artists that need it. And so the powers that be were able to agree to print the 7,000 print run of this book, because keep in mind, or this was the last big Marvel DC crossover. And it happened all the way back in 2003, before all the big corporate mergers and Marvel becoming a Disney toy. You don't see intercompany crossovers these days between the big two because frankly they're too many they lawyers they yeah. don't play nice right it's no longer just marvel and dc it's warner brothers it's disney uh it's all the corporate muckety mucks it's all the people standing in the way of a good time yeah because again i i wasn't one of the lucky ones to get one of these seven thousand copies so i had to actually fish mine out of my long boxes that i bought originally and i actually forgot that it, it had been released so late compared to some other Marvel DC crossovers that I actually thought were more contemporaries, like the Marvel versus DC. Uh, that actually was released, I think, around like 96, 97. So like almost a good solid like 10 years before this event came out. But I thought it was the same time with all the Amalgamum universe. I thought that was all happening around. The, and it was like a kind of a crazy era 
in the 90s. You had so many crossovers, lots of ones that people don't even know about, whether it was Batman and Spider-Man, whether it was Batman and Punisher, whether it was Batman and Daredevil. Death mate. <laughs> that wasn't between the big two. Shush. But there it was, was the crossover one. to end all crossovers. <laughs> There is one you're going to be bringing up later on the show, J.A., that you uh, found uh, recently and and you checked out. Which one was that? Silver Surfer and Superman. Yeah! That was 90s, too. I had no idea about that one, by the way. And speaking of folks that were involved with that, who was was the writer of that series? It was George Perez. Yeah! So not doing the artist duties. The artist duties were done by Ron Lynn. But we'll talk about that more when we get to the recommendations part of, of today's show. But, you know... For somebody trying to get folks into the comic book tent and with all the movies that are out nowadays and in the interest in some of these big superhero teams, whether you're, you know, Zack Snyder's Justice League or whether you're Avengers Endgame or whatever, it's really frustrating that there was a limited print run of this particular series. Not because, I, again, I didn't get a copy, but more to the point that, like, this is a type of event that. I I wish was more available to new comic book fans coming into the tent to get all these characters crossing over. This is a perfect gateway to get people into comics, right, Chad? Heck yeah. I mean, anytime you can bring the big name characters together, you know, it's not just Superman and Batman, but it's Superman and Batman and Captain America and Thor and Iron Man and Wonder Woman. You put them all together in that same book. It's like the pizza with all the toppings, you know, it's, it's something that would be evergreen that, you know, as long as it's available for fans, it would sell forever. But unfortunately big corporate daddies and mommies don't want these things celebrated together forever. They want you to focus on buying that justice league book or buying that Avengers book. Yeah. And it is sad because I I know that Chad and I have discussed this previously reviewed on the last comic shop, Superman versus the amazing Spider-Man. And when we we're coming up in the comic book ranks in the in the mid '90s. They actually did re-release that one, so like we had an opportunity to pick that up. Yeah, just like you mentioned earlier, the the crossovers were everywhere. And so you know, for that not to be happening, I'm just going to call it. I, I think it's extremely frustrating for somebody that's trying to get people interested in comic books. That's what we try to do on the show every day. With Ja, I mean, your thoughts on that? I can see the business angle and why it would be so limited. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of red tape that has to go into getting something like this back, especially after all the the mergers and whatnot. Uh, But I can also understand, you know, the frustration of maybe if you put out more, more people will come. If you build it, they will come sort of mentality. And it was one of those things where I, I admit, too, I was frustrated at first that, you know, you can't guarantee a copy at your local comic shop. But uh, as I was talking about it online and maybe whining a little too much, people have pointed out uh, that sense of entitlement that maybe sometimes we need to check because this isn't something that happens every day. And the only reason this is happening is out of respect for someone like a George Perez. And were those print runs bigger, more muckety mucks get involved. You know, the more muckety mucks you get, the more muck that comes with it. And so I think this was just a matter of this was the best they could get, you know, on such short notice without alerting everyone and causing a big ruckus. Well, again, I'm still saying that it, it was frustrating to me. But long story short, for those fans that are listening on this show, maybe you were one of the folks that was lucky enough to get one of these 7,000 copies. Maybe you still had a copy 
of Justice League Avengers from when it was originally released back in the early 2000s. Regardless, we're going to talk about the book. We're going to talk about George Prose. We're also going to talk about potentially precursor to this. Like, because this was an idea that they had as early as the 80s, but they just couldn't put it together. We'll talk about all of that right after these commercial breaks. So stay tuned. Justice League Avengers. Peanut butter and chocolate time. What happens when 20-something Madison is zapped into old-time radio shows? No technology. Ugh, I want to go to voicemail. No Starbucks. Don't call yourself a coffee shop if you only sell drip coffee. And no one is PC. I don't need no lip from... Were you about to say woman? Because I'm wearing a gun and I have no idea how to use it. Madison on the Air serves to highlight the way we were and the way we are today with original radio drama scripts adapted to include the modern-day Madison as she joins famous characters from radio's past, including Sergeant Joe Friday. Just the facts, ma'am. I've never actually said that. Marshal Matt Dillon. We're not having a shootout with a 10-year-old kid. I'm too woke to be a part of this. Superman. I didn't realize how cold it would be flying like this. I have to get into the higher atmosphere. And many more. Visit us on the web at madisonontheair.com or find us pretty much any place podcasts can be found. You talk so old-timey. I have no idea what you said, but it's adorbs. Okay, and we're back. It's time now for the Read Pile Review and ready to talk about JLA Avengers. So, we kind of teed this up a bit, but Chad, who are all the people that worked on this epic crossover event? Well, we've got Kurt Busick, the writer of this one. George Prez, we've discussed uh, a bit, was our artist. Tom Smith did Colors and Separations. And Comic Craft was on Letters. And this is a four-issue mini, circa 2003. And so, uh, as we said, this takes the best of uh, the DC Universe, and maybe not the best, but the Avengers of the Marvel Universe, and (laughs) brings them together. Andrew, Uh, give us the 10-cent synopsis. What happens in this massive conglomeration of Marvel and DC? I think it comes at a great time for the Avengers, honestly. This is about the time that Kurt Busiek was doing the Avengers on that classic Avengers Volume 3, which a lot of folks say is one of the best Avengers runs of all time with George Perez. So it's basically a br- bringing back to the Avengers roots. You got the big three, you got Vision, you got Scarlet Witch, you got Quicksilver, you got Carol Danvers, you got Wasp, uh, Hank Pym, Hawkeye, all the great Avengers, right? So you got them on the one side, you got the great Justice League on the other side, kind of coming on the heels of the Grant Morrison reboot. So you got Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, Flash, you got the Kyle Rayner, Green Lantern, Martian Manhunter, Aquaman with no hands. You got a lot of those guys. And basically what happens is there's this guy named Krona, who's like this big purpley mustachioed guy that I guess came from Oa and was one of the guardians of the universe, whatever. He wants to find out what happened before the Big Bang. And so he goes to all these other universes and destroys them. And he eventually gets to the Marvel Universe. And the Grandmaster, one of the elders of the universe, which some folks might know from the uh, Hulk Ragnarok movie played by Jeff Goldblum. Anyways, he says, no, Krona, you're destroying all these other universes. But if you're in my universe, you got to play my game. So basically, they kind of play this game where, like, Grandmaster will show him to Galactus if, like, 
he sets up some sort of crossover between his universe, which is the Justice League one, and Grandmaster's universe, which is the Avengers one, to find all these items, like the Wand of Watoom, and Casket of Ancient Winters, and the Evil Eye, and some mask, I don't know. The Infinity Gems is one of them. Anyways, long story short, it's a reason for the Justice League and the Avengers to originally fight. Then they kind of get, like, smooshed together into the same universe, but nobody likes that. And eventually they got to fight this Krona guy. And that's over four issues. But yeah, that's the 10 cent synopsis. Probably closer to 25 to 50 cents. Sometimes you need it. I mean, you know, mentioning George Perez on the art, there are some full two-page panels that you need like a good 10 minutes just to deconstruct all that is going on. He does like to pack his panels with lots of action. So something that like this where it's a crossover and you've got all these different characters from both universes couldn't have asked for a better artist to handle that. Yeah. Think about <laughs> that. What the, I think it's the cover for what issue two. I don't know how many people he crams into that. Like it's like the front side of the book and then the back side of the book. It's just crammed with guys fighting each other. Whether it's like you got Superman and Thor, like right in the middle, like the big heavy hitters there. Then you got like Batman and Captain America. It he knows how to cram lots of stuff. It's increasingly cramped. So Every issue, the cover is a wraparound cover. So you get, I'd say, 10 people on issue one, 25 on issue two, and like 50, 50, 60 people all coming out at you at issue three. And then for me personally, more is not always better. The last issue of the book, the cover, is just Superman with Captain America's shield and Thor's hammer with the worlds colliding in the background. That to me is actually the best cover. I don't know, and I've got to say, you said 60 people on the third cover? Like, there's 60 people going up the right-hand side (laughs) on that cover. There's about 250 characters presented on issue three. So don't sell George Perez's cover short there. And just like he doesn't sell any of the characters short either. You know, they're all presented. They all get their particular poses. They all get their dynamic energy. Yeah. So, so many. And that's got to be like the biggest challenge of writing a book like this. I mean, ultimately, as we kind of teased prior to the commercial break, this was a crossover that was supposed to happen as early as the 80s. Uh, you know, almost two decades before it actually came out. There was a kerpluffle here that eventually killed a lot of other crossovers that they had planned. Like, you know, because they couldn't come together on the Justice League Avengers one, that actually killed, like, the second crossover they had planned, Teen, Teen Titans, Titans and X-Men. But before we get too much into this book, Chad, why don't you tell us a little bit of the story about the original Justice League Avengers for all of our fans? Like, how did this project actually originally start because george perez was involved with that too so uh 1983 marvel and dc were getting ready to do this and a lot of this information comes from tom brevoort's blog uh where he's posted about this but they got jerry conway who fans might know from tons of his marvel work and his dc work and george perez who's also drawn both justice league and the avengers and very important storylines and what happened was I guess uh, Jerry Conway had given George Perez the plot to start drawing before Marvel had signed off and agreed to what the plot was. And anytime you have these crossovers, there's always that, you know, oh, you have to make sure that 
you don't uh, outshine the other guy. You need to make sure that if somebody wins here, then somebody else has to win there. Win there. It's a very delicate dance uh, that has to be danced. And so what you ended up with was George Perez had penciled around 20 pages of basically completed pencils before Marvel sent back to say, hey, we need to rework this plot. And the whole project fell apart. And with it, every other Marvel DC crossover that was already in the works to happen after that. And you didn't see another Marvel crossover again until the mid 90s. But um, speaking of like everybody having their spots in this, uh, you know, I'm going to go ahead and jump in with my initial thoughts about how much I loved this and how I'm going to compare it directly to a book that we covered earlier in this year, which I felt was not as good. Crisis of Infinite Earths, also a book drawn by George Perez. In fact, and when I when it comes to JLA Avengers, I feel like this is what Crisis could have been if it had been the proper length. Instead of being 12 issues, if it had only been like four to six because you get the same story here in Justice League Avengers that you get in Crisis, which is basically smashing two universes together and like a Royal Rumble where everybody's got to get their spot. Got to have Captain America and uh, Batman fight it out. You got to get like Hercules and, and Wonder Woman punch for a little while. Everybody's got to look good. Like, you know, even though Superman's, you know, the big guy and ends up holding Thor's hammer and and the shield, like, he also is like, no, Captain America's got to be the leader of the joint JLA Avengers task force to fight Krona. Everybody's got to get their spot. And so, like, for me, the fact that it was shorter and there was less fat on the bone just made for a much better story. J.A., what do you think of that? I did feel that, yeah, it was a much tighter story, but if I had to nitpick, maybe a little bit too much Plastic Man. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. You, you got, I just go back, you know, after all the fighting and, and, and the contest and everything, they've all gotten together and they're actually mounting their attack on Corona. All of them, DC and Marvel, Avengers Assemble! And uh, uh, Justice League, uh, Rick Partey, I guess. <laughs> Riposte. Uh, we don't really have a word, do we? <laughs> but I will say when I was talking with Chad, Chad was the one that was a little more, I don't know. W- what's the word, Chad? Ah, uh, geez. I don't know how to phrase this properly. The beginning of this book was so convoluted and so boring. Mm. Where they went through all these machinations to set up and justify having this big crossover. And you actually <laughs> told me that you're like, no, this is what crisis should have been. Bullshit. <laughs> crisis was a company wide event whose purpose was to settle all their continuity to introduce new characters and set up a company for the next 20 years that you have to take your time and you have to be delicate with with a crossover like this this just needs to fuck you just need to get these things together and bump whatever ugly you need to have bumping. and that did not happen for an issue and a half this should be something where you get two groups of characters together there should be a lightning bolt on the first page and then the Grandmaster and Kronos or whatever said, oh, we need to get the MacGuffins. Okay, go! You should have had those those Earths crashing into each other right from day one. Honestly. Get rid of, get rid of all this 
oh, you've got to search for all these little things, which ended up not mattering. You're no. right. That the whole the whole point of that was just so that JLA and Avengers would be against each other and have to fight each other before they come together because you know they'll end up coming together. Come on though, did you didn't like some of the set pieces? You didn't like the fact that they went to eventually to Apocalypse and like everybody's standing there stone faced as Dark Side gets the Infinity Gauntlet and Hawkeye makes the comment. He's like, that guy looks like twice as mean as Thanos. We're up shit creek. Yeah, that was fun, but that was issue three. That was after two issues of sitting there looking at Kronos and staring at himself, going over some dumbass plan that didn't matter at all. You didn't like where they had, like, Galactus, and he was, like, chained, like, in the middle of something, and then eventually, like, Chrono makes his base out of Galactus's remains? That was awesome! But does that need all the plot set up for that to happen? It doesn't, because you know what's going to happen after this story? Everything's going to reset to zero. I want Spider-Man on web skis being dragged by Superman across the country. I want Wonder Woman and Hercules giving each other the eye from across the room be like, yeah, you mess with my mom, but you're kind of hot. <laughs> I could have used a bit more of uh, Wonder Woman on Asgard. I was like, oh, this is a great setup. And then there was like two pages of, you know, boring fist fights. I was like, ah, they wasted that. Wasted opportunity there. I can say that like one of the main reasons that I really like this is because I'm, I'm a bigger fan of Kurt Busiek's writing than maybe you guys are. I mean, I, I again, I love his Avengers run. I loved his run on uh, Astro City. And what you get with Kurt Busiek is somebody that's really a comic book historian that really can like take a lot of things from old back issues and kind of tie it into a, a you know, a tapestry so that if you are a longtime fan, you get those callbacks and unlike Crisis, I liked this more because I actually got a lot of the references. That's just because you're a Marvel guy. All right. Call a spade a spade. I'm a Marvel guy. So I liked it when, like, Vision and Scarlet Witch were talking about their kids. I liked it when, you know, you had things like the evil eye. And I was like, I know what that is. Like, I, right. I you know, they, the Avengers and the Defenders fought over that in, in a great crossover in the 70s. All that was fine, and I would say the the two high points of this series were issues two and three before it gets back to being really boring again for issue four. But we shouldn't <laughs> have to give a darn who frickin' Archon is. <laughs> what I'm saying is, like, I liked it, because they just destroyed that world. It was kind of like a, a, a subtle nod to Crisis, where they're like, hey, remember all that time in Crisis where we just destroyed a lot of worlds that didn't really matter? Remember how it took, like, four yeah. issues to do that? It but took then- us three pages in this book. In Crisis, it mattered. In this, it doesn't. There's still shitty Archon floating <laughs> around out there because this doesn't matter. All right. All right. Look, I, I won't lie that there were bits and pieces that that didn't work as best, but I enjoyed it. You know what my favorite issue was? Of all the issues out there, I loved issue three. And the reason why I loved issue three was because I loved, like, the first ten pages. I love this, like, notion that they smashed the universes together the Justice League and the Avengers meeting throughout their history and having barbecues and, like, fighting against certain villains. Kind of like what the JLA used to do with the JSA, like the Earth-1, Earth-2 crossovers. For me, that as a fan was just, like, a big warm hug. My childhood heroes actually getting along, palling around, having beers and talking shop. Like, that was great. And as critical as I've been, that was part of the best moment. And the other part that was the best thing about this series is how at one point they're like, no, we're going to travel through time. 
One of the downsides to all these crossovers happening in the 90s is you would get a Spider-Man crossover with Batman, but it was Ben Riley. And they're like, listen, we're going to do this story. Uh, Hal Jordan's going to be Green Lantern again. <laughs> uh, Barry's going to be the Flash. We don't need a reason why. Uh, Hercules, your 90s costume. Ah, like... <laughs> <laughs> they they pull back to the essences of what makes these characters great. And because the 90s was that time period where so many costumes were so dumb. And they're just like, no, we want the iconic looks. And so they actually played with a crossover in a way where it's like, we're going to give you the stuff that you want to see. And I agree, issues two and three, they were great. I mean, from the cap Batman feeling each other out. That Batman's logo on his chest kept changing from like just the black bat to the bat with the yellow to and then his ears are like going up and down and up and down they actually allude to the story that never happened from 1983 they had that one panel in there that was the cover that they had published previously like all that stuff was fun to watch i i, I will say this if i was going to say there was one part of this book that i was kind of critical of was you know, I thought it became a little bit heavy-handed at times with, like, the whole notion that, that the Justice League universe and the Avengers universe are so different. And how, like, the Justice League were like, oh, you've got so many problems and you hunt mutants on your world and, like, nobody's a good guy and, like, how you messed this up. Yeah. Captain America's like, oh, yeah, but you guys, you know, everybody hero worships you. You're a bunch of fascists. Yeah, and I didn't get that. Um and then, and then they like tried to pass it off as, oh, this is Superman and, and Captain America going crazy because of the worlds colliding. But there were like moments where Captain America and Superman especially, like, like everyone else is even looking at them like, where is this coming from? They're just way off super angry and agitated about something. And you're like, dude, chill out, Superman. Yeah, but you're, I didn't you're get a Marvel that. guy. You'd always talk about in DC how clean Metropolis is and how, oh, they have the museum for the Flash and all that, whereas Marvel's so much more realistic. And if you're a DC guy, you're like, look how dirty and crappy the Marvel books are. <laughs> <laughs> go there for their fun. And so I think they were just nodding to the stuff that fans do whenever they're arguing back and forth. Only they had the justification of Captain America and Superman are so important to their universes it's making them askew well that was the thing like when it came to askew like i actually thought it was more on like the superman side because like there are issues in this where superman is just a colossal dick like just the biggest is it like, is it superman a colossal dick anyways is it that? that's true and that's only <laughs> because you're used to in marvel books they're all dicks to each other a hero sees another hero and then say nah. Hi, hero. They just punch him in the jaw. And that's how they deal with things in the Marvel Universe. They're all but dicks. I, but I will say this. Like, I loved it when the Avengers first see the Justice League and you got Hawkeye there going like, oh, these are got just Squadron Supreme ripoffs. They're probably mind controlled. It's like I smiled from your ear. I, th I thought of you guys. I thought of you guys and how you cracked. <laughs> on my Heroes Reborn book. I was like, ha-ha! Love <laughs> Supreme, it always comes back to them. Hyperion and all those guys. That's the best. And like, and Hawkeye gets a lot of the best quotes in this. Yeah, the Hawkeye-Green Arrow rivalry is by far some of the funnest bits of this book, where they're calling each other names. I was like, okay, blind eye. Now, uh, real quickly, Chad, was this where they were supposed to switch universes, or was that earlier in like the DC-Marvel crossover? That was, I believe, the DC-Marvel crossover over the plan was i think for she hulk and maybe hawkeye 
to stay behind. And I forget who Marvel was going to get in the trade. But then even then the lawyers were like, no, that's too complicated. I think there was like a subtle nod within this book to that because there's like there's this one part where like Hawkeye is on the Justice League in some sort of bubble. And then he eventually turns back to, to Green Arrow. And I was just like. Yeah, that's probably a nod to that. That's probably like that Hawkeye was supposed to be a part of the Justice League of, you know, but they, they that never happened. So, like, again, little Easter eggs throughout this. That's what I love about it. This is an Easter egg paradise. I don't know how you guys can be so, you know, this is uh, great. Let me explain how I can be so crazy about this, because you're right. If you are a hardcore comic fan, there are so many nods, so many Easter eggs, so many little moments and you can't argue with George Perez art. You can't argue even against Kurt Busick writing. If that's your thing, I've never given a shit about anybody like Kronos in my life. <laughs> those, those issues of universes bashing together, unless there's some other hook to make me care about it. I don't. And as I was reading this, I kept thinking about how, uh, you know, my Avengers are the new Avengers. They've got Luke Cage and Spider-Man and Wolverine on that team. Oh. And the Justice League, you know what my Justice League is? It's the it's the Keith Giffen one. It's the Justice League International with Booster Gold and Blue Beetle where they're setting up their island retreat on Kui Kui Kui. And so like I, I recognize the tales like this one, they're just out of my wheelhouse. That doesn't mean they're not fantastic. It's just not for me. But if you're the type of person that is into those grand spectacles of scope and look at all this minute detail george press does minute detail better than anybody it's great stuff well speaking of minute details one thing that we hope is not a minute detail on this week's show is our ratings because we've kind of put a little bit of work into those every week and we'll be right back with that and more last comic shop right after these messages so stay tuned Cartoon Dumpster Dive. I'm your host, Joel. And I'm your host, Andrew. Join us as we travel back in time to watch the garbage cartoons from your past. Will you remember them? Maybe. We mistakenly watch every episode of these cartoons to remind you that, hey, some things belong in the past. Our pain is your entertainment. Thanks for tuning in. Hey, everyone. I'm Nerd Bummer. And I'm Tectic. And we're two of the hosts of the Online Warriors podcast. Our podcast started as a way for three best friends to keep in touch and discuss their nerdy hobbies like movies, gaming, tech, and more. Since then, we've grown into a great community. Every Wednesday, we chat about the latest nerdy news before getting hands-on with our weekly nerdy adventures. And don't forget our high-stakes trivia game. Come join the fun at OnlineWarriorsPodcast.com and every major podcast platform. And now, back to the show. All right, we're back with more of The Last Comic Shop, and it is now time for our ratings. But uh, before we get to that part, we're actually going to do a little bit of a countdown. There were so many great little spots here in Avengers JLA that we all have one. So here are the top three uh, moments (laughs) in JLA Avengers. And we'll go ahead and start off with J.A. What was your favorite moment that stands out from the crowd from this epic crossover? It was during the heist bits when they're all trying to get all the different uh, magical items. And and there had been this playoff. Who was faster? Was it uh, Quicksilver or the Flash? And they said, well, Flash is faster, but there's no speed force on Marvel Earth. So Flash kind of got sidelined a bit. And then they had to build some device that allowed him to build up speed force power and reuse it sort of like a battery. He was like charging his own battery. Was um, that when Iron Man was like, there's no way this would work? Yes. <laughs> so dumb. 
treadmill for temporal things, but whatever. And uh, Quicksilver is like done all this misdirection, and Quicksilver's come in and, and stolen the item, and he's like running away across the water super fast. He's like, I got it. We're all good. And then Flash just like shows up beside him, almost like walking sideways, and he's like, No, 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 you're not quite out there yet. Uh, I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> just like just shoving it in his face, that Quicksilver is like booking as fast as he can, and Flash is just sort of like, yeah, walk in the park. Oh, <laughs> see, that was a sad moment, though. I'm, I'm, I am upset that Quicksilver never got to tap into that feed force. I think he was due. I think he was due. Anyways, Chad, uh, what was your favorite moment? I was tempted. The one we were talking about earlier, in, in between, you mentioned how Aquaman just shuts down the brain of all the Atlanteans. Like, he's like, yeah, I've got these fish powers. Check out what I can do to these guys. It's totally cruel. But no, the best moment is whenever the Avengers go back to the mansion and Cap's like, Jarvis, put the coffee on. And then the uh, the Justice League shows up and you can obviously tell that Batman is given tea and he just takes it and sips it daintily as it is something he is used to. <laughs> That's right. Whether it's Jarvis, whether it's Alfred, when there's superheroing to do, Earl Grey, please. That's right. In, in your finest China. Uh, there were so many great moments here. Again, I, I alluded to um, you got Darkseid getting the Infinity Gauntlet and everybody craps a brick for a few seconds. But my favorite one is just the fact that Hawkeye ends up being the hero of the day in the end, blowing up Krona's stupid battery or whatever the hell it was with a TNT arrow, a bomb arrow. It was, oh man, it's always Hawkeye. He does not belong on the Avengers or the Justice League. He's a street level guy. Why he's in these big cosmic crossovers is beyond me. But whether it's the Kree Skrulls, his his fights against Grandmaster earlier, Hawkeye's always one step ahead of anybody. And he just stands there with bravado and precision and just fires that arrow and goes, yep, that was the last arrow I had, but guess what? It's a bomb arrow. And that always works. It was the best. <laughs> it was the best. But it's now time for ratings. J.A., what is the rating scale for this week? Rating scale this week. One out of four smashing Earths. Well, no, I think that was exploding Earths for, for Crisis, but hey, smashing Earths, it's, it's a similar sound effect, but whatever, we'll go with it. I thought you were going to go one out of four issues, because there was only four issues in this. So. That's lame. <laughs> All right, well, lame you get to go first. How many colliding planets are you giving this? I'm giving this a solid three out of four colliding planets. It was... Um, it was a fun story. It was just long enough. It took too long to get into the MacGuffins. Maybe I would agree with Chad that they could have sped things up a bit. Uh, but there were lots of nice moments in those. You know, uh, the art was incredible. All those massive panels with these, you know, hundreds and hundreds of characters flying in from every which way. If I only had to nitpick, you've got Galactus. How can you have Galactus without Silver Surfer? I'm sorry. You can't have a cosmic crossover event and not include Silver Surfer. I felt a little bit gypped. <laughs> All right. Chad, what are, what are you what are you grading it? Uh, I'm going to agree. I'm going to say three out of four. I think a lot of this uh, was a missed opportunity. What I don't know whether this should have been two issues or ten, but four just wasn't right. Took too long to get in, and they worked too hard on those contrivances. And whereas they, they did fit in a lot of moments, I don't know if I ever felt the emotional connection that I was looking for between characters. 
Like, we got the begrudging respect sometimes, but, like, I don't know. I think of all the great crossovers. X-Men versus Teen Titans, where by the end of X-Men Titans, Kitty and Changeling, like, have a a budding relationship in there. It's like, oh, look, the universes could meld. Here, the the focus was so much on how the universes couldn't. And I'm like, ah, that's boring. So, but with that said... The art is fantastic, and I I think this is a great story for people that are into these grand spectacle things. So I I, I will respectfully give it three out of four Smashing Planets. Okay. I I thought about a four a lot, but I I can only give it a 3.75, just simply because although the art is fantastic, and I love George Perez as an artist, I actually prefer George Perez from an earlier area. I I kind of wish that this had been released in 1983, and I got the George Perez from that time of Crisis and his run on Teen Titans, because for me, that's the definitive George Perez. His art style did change a little bit over the years, whether, again, it was him doing his own inking by this time or, or just evolving. But with with even greats, you know, there's certain eras to their art. And the era that this is part of, whether it's this, whether it's the Avengers Volume 3, there was just something about it that, you know, I don't know. I I just didn't like it as much as I did his earlier stuff. And so, again, I I just feel like that's nitpicking and maybe that's just, you know, sour grapes about not getting this as, as early and maybe, you know, the fact that if we would have got JLA Avengers back in the day, we could have got other crossovers that we didn't happen, which was sad. But like, I, I can't fault this uh, too much just because of that. I this was wonderful, and I don't even care about like the whole you know Justice League and the Avengers being heavy-handed about how the universes are different. For those moments where they're like having the luau together and. And everybody's hanging out. That just made me feel so nice. Whether it was, you know, Ben Grimm breaking into the Batcave with his uh, dimensional crossing bicycle, you know, and just being like nonchalant. Like, yeah, the Fantastic Four could do this anytime we wanted to, Batman. We just choose not to because, yeah, we got other things we want to do. And that last issue where basically, you know, Kurt Busiek starts lining them up in terms of all the bad you know, the masters of evil to trolls to like Ultron to, uh, you know, you got a Mazo jumping on top of him and all the big guns. And he has to throw the, the hammer to, to Superman. He catches it and has manages to use it for a few seconds, but later isn't able to pick it up. Yeah. Yeah. Superman isn't worthy in the long run, I guess. I, I, I don't <laughs> I don't know. It made me feel so good. It's probably the best crossover other than. Teen Titans X-Men. I think that's the only one that I think is better, honestly. But yeah, for fans of Justice League and Avengers, like me, it hit all the right notes. And it did it so much better than Crisis. Just just less people staring at voids for six panels. Just great stuff. I was going to say, I'm the one who's been crapping on this book for the last 40 minutes. And even I think that shot's fired. <laughs> well, one thing we hope isn't shot's fired is our recommendations. Yes, we're hoping that everybody agrees that the books we're going to provide you uh, in the next couple of minutes during our recommendation sections are all good books that you should check out at your local comic shop. So we're going to go ahead and start off this recommendation section with J.A.'s recommendation, which we teased earlier in the show. As you might remember, he was going to talk about another crossover featuring Superman and who, J.A.? 
Oh, the Silver Surfer. So this crossover has 100% more Silver Surfer in it. <laughs> Simply called Silver Surfer slash Superman uh, by George Perez. Writing and Ron Lim did the pencils with Terry Austin Inks. Oh, look at that. And you know you love your Terry Austin Inks. Well, you love that Ron Lim. That's your definitive Silver Surfer and, right there, yes. right? And Ron Lim is the definitive Silver Surfer. And this corrects everything that's wrong about the JLA Avengers. It's one issue. It doesn't bother with machinations. It just, from the start of it, Silver Surfer and, and Superman, they suddenly disappear and they pop up in the other person's universe. That's all you need. And then you've got Superman fighting Super Scroll and Silver Surfer going up against all these baddies. And it all turns out to be set up by the Impossible Man and Mr. Mixelplix, but I don't know, whatever. The the Superman baddie. The imp. They discovered each other and have decided to play a trick on the most powerful person they can find in the other universe. And whoever gets caught first loses the game. So it's a bit sort of like this whole um, Avengers JLA. There's a lot of gamesmanship involved, but it's Impossible Man and Mr. Mixelplixing, so it's just fun. And I will say, the other thing that I liked about this was, unlike a lot of the crossovers, even like the JLA Avengers, Silver Surfer and Superman never fight each other, because they wouldn't. They naturally, you know, go about things uh, sort of in a non-confrontational, non-violent, humanistic way. Now that fucks. <laughs> no, <laughs> that's making love. <laughs> <laughs> wow. All right. Well, with that being said, Chad, what is your recommendation <laughs> for this week? You got to follow up something like that with a good recommendation. <laughs> So my recommendation, I'm going to go and pull out another book that is from Marv Wolfman and George Perez. And some of my favorite George Perez stuff was on the new Teen Titans. And 20 years after their original run in 2011, which is something that may have slipped under some fans' uh, radar, Marv Wolfman and George Perez returned to the new Teen Titans to release an original graphic novel called Games. And I actually learned the phrase, you can't go home again, uh, from a George Perez comic book. Turns out you can. Uh, And so this graphic novel is just classic Titans. It takes place in between New Titans 50 and before the Titans Hunt storyline. It takes you right back to the late 80s, early 90s era. And nothing feels out of place. And it's just, it's marvelous. They even got the, the silly Batmobile in the Batcave. They've got Nightwing in his classic 70s Nightwing costume. You've got Jericho. Everything you love about the Teen Titans, it shows up here. If you were a Titans fan back in the day, don't let games uh, slip under your radar. Check it out. It's definitely worth your time. There you go. And speaking of George Perez and Marv Wolfman collaborations, uh, my recommendation this week will be uh, another one where Marv Wolfman wasn't the writer. He was actually the editor. And this was way back when George Perez first was getting started with drawing comic books. It wasn't his first gig at Marvel, but it was close enough. This was actually uh, George Perez's original run on The Avengers. 
Uh, and it's been collected in a variety of different trade paperbacks nowadays, but it's basically summed up under the title The Serpent's Crown. Uh, it was written by Steve Englehart, and it really collects uh, Avengers issues 141 through 149. For those that are keeping score, 145 and 146 were one of some of those filler issues that they used to do back in the day because people couldn't meet deadlines and things. So regardless... For those folks that really want to connect with why I like the Avengers so much, this is the Bronze Age team. This is Cap, Iron Man with the nose. You've got the newlywed versions of Vision and Scarlet Witch. You've got the Beast, who just joined. Uh, you get Hellcat, Patsy Walker, making her first appearance in this. Plus, you get Moondragon and Thor and Hawkeye, and it's really two different stories. The first story really deals with the, the Captain America team fighting against the Squadron Supreme, who I mentioned earlier, that that DC analog team that we've talked about with Hyperion and Nighthawk and all those guys. And they come from an alternate universe to help Roxxon Oil keep the Serpent's Crown, which is kind of neat. It takes over people's minds and makes them be bad or, or whatever. But long story short, you've got that storyline at the same time as you've got an even better storyline where Thor goes back to the Old West with Moondragon to meet up with Hawkeye and a bunch of the Marvel Western heroes like the Two-Gun Kid and the original Ghost Rider when he was just riding a horse. And they stop Kang from robbing a train. <laughs> Do you think that's batshit crazy? It is, but it's also awesome. And this comes on the heel of some other Steve Englehart stories on the Avengers, such as the Celestial Madonna storyline, and it's right before the Korvac saga. So it's really like the best part of the Avengers. It's what made me a fan. I think it's what Chad didn't read growing up. Instead, he read all the 90s crap stuff. So that's why he hates the Avengers so much. <laughs> In my defense, in the 90s, or the Avengers were wearing leather bomber jackets. Yes. And uh, being real lame. Yeah, they weren't good at all, and they were split over two teams. But if he, if you would have read this stuff, Chad, anybody out there wants to read really good Avengers, sure, it's cheesy, sure, it's corny, but it's great. And plus, you get the other stuff with Cap and, and, and I, you know, an Iron Man with a nose. He is the darkest timeline. Avengers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have to admit, I, I need to Google Iron Man with the nose. I don't think I <laughs> have seen Iron Man with nose. <laughs> it was it's, an offhand comment by Stan Lee to an artist who was like, where's his nose fit? I need to start drawing him with a nose. <laughs> I've just looked at Iron Man with a nose, and now I'm deeply disturbed. <laughs> well, hopefully you're not deeply disturbed by this Avengers. Again, 141 through 144, and then 147 through 149. Again, Serpent's Crown. That's You just got to get that. Any case, one thing you also got to get is the last comic shop on your device. And you can do that by making sure that you go out to our website, www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com. It's a terrific place where you can rate, review, and subscribe to a myriad of podcasters, all that have our show weekly. In addition to that, our website also has a link to YouTube where you can find all of our episodes as well as bonus material, reviews on comic books and action figures, uh, interviews with uh, independent comic book creators that are putting out great stuff on Kickstarter and a lot of other places. All of that available on our website. Check it out today. www.lastcomicshoppodcast.com
Com. Speaking of websites, you can find us on those social media websites, places like Twitter or Instagram at Last Comic Shop, where you can find things like our Wednesday polls. You could find the comic books we're getting on a weekly basis. And you could also find cool things like uh, Golden Age covers to put you to bed. All that more on our social media. And if you need help finding those, once again, go back to our website where they can find what else, J.A.? Well, we have links to our merch store where uh, no crossover events yet on the merch store. But we do have mugs, tote bags, (laughs) T-shirts. I think you should just do mugs. Like, that's it. Just get yourself a f***ing mug. (laughs) My goddamn mug. He's salty, folks. <laughs> we want you to pick up a mug after you. <laughs> <laughs> and while we may be the last comic shop podcast, we certainly don't want to be the last comic shop. So we encourage you guys to get out to your local comic shop and look for things like JLA Avengers. Maybe they have a copy somehow that they didn't sell already, or it's marked up at an exorbitant price because there were only seven thousand printed. <laughs> Or maybe you want to dig into those back issues and see if you can find the Superman Silver Surfer crossover. They might not be reprinting anytime soon. Or Teen Titans Games by Wolfman and Perez. Or maybe you want some old school Avengers featuring George Perez, in which case you can look up the Avengers Serpent Crown. All that and more waits for you at your local comic shop. Check it out. All right. And we hope that you check us out next week here at The Last Comic Shop for more fantastic comic book reviews. Until then, I was those with most Andy Larson. I was joined by Jay Scott and Chad Smith. And remember, until next week, stay safe, stay sheltered, and remember that even Superman is sometimes amazed that, like, Thor's hammer would have so much power behind it. Oh, I would have never guessed in this hammer. What, a, what about the shield? He's like, the shield is incredible. You're Superman. Yeah, I didn't get that. Why life. does he need a shield? It's like it's like Superman wanted to go to like the Avengers garage sale and just like, I love your Quinjets. They're the best. You can feel us. Here, I need a shield to protect me from these bullets. <laughs> I gotta get me one of them shields. It's the best. Okay. He's either super nice or super patronizing. <laughs> The last comic shop was a 2022 Black Angus production.